So my dog, Flurry, died last year, and she was 15 years old. I've had lots of dogs. I've been a dog trainer in the past, uh, helping teach dogs to hunt. Uh, I've uh, owned uh, aggressive breeds. Um, Flurry was a part white German Shepherd and part yellow lab. And she was far and away the best behaved dog I have ever had in my life. When we started, when we started opening and working with kids, we had a situation where a girl had been triggered uh, with some past trauma and had a complete and utter total meltdown. She was 100% offline. We could not connect with her. There was nothing you could, you could talk about boiled broccoli or how trauma is affecting the brain or motivational things to get her forward. But for three hours, she was so offline, we were getting very, very concerned. Then my dog, Flurry, who had no emotional training, no therapeutic training, nothing, walked up to her, laid down next to her, and scoop her, scooped her nose in between this girl's arms, and this girl started petting Flurry. And she was back. We had her back. And my wife and I watched this situation and we said, oh, that's why animals. And from that point on, at Fire Mountain, we've never not had dogs. Um, we've had horses and cows. And currently, our kids work with wolves. And they're doing canine-assisted therapy. Uh, Darlene Brace, who is an LCSW, I'm going to let her tell you where she's from because I've forgotten. I don't want to get it wrong. But she was speaking here at the Winter Symposium on animal-assisted therapies. And this is what she does. And I want her to talk a little bit about her work, her animal partner, and uh, we're going to take it from there. So, Darlene, thank you for being with our parents on Beyond Risk and Back. Thank you. It's my pleasure. So I work for Peaks Recovery Services here in Colorado Springs. We serve young adults ages 18 to about 30. We focus on uh, providing services around substance abuse and mental health and trauma. And one of the main components to this is that we have a male program and a female program. And we're a 90 plus days program. And we have a lot of gender specific qualities to our program. We also have a lot of age-specific qualities to our program, which I think really makes us really successful in the way that we deliver our services. And so we also include animals and equines or horses and also rabbits into our services that we provide. Bunny therapy, as it's affectionately called. And it has been found to be tremendously helpful, especially around what... Um, Aaron just was talking about in that it is oftentimes easier to bond with an animal if you have attachment issues than it is to another human. And so if you've had trauma or experienced trauma, which is the vast majority of anybody who touches a substance and becomes addicted, then they're able to connect with that animal first. And the, the number one thing that makes animal-assisted interventions helpful is it helps build rapport and the therapeutic alliance. So that's why it's so important to include animals. Okay, so when did this start? How did this all come about? What's the history of this? Because it seems relatively new. Um, and certainly when you watch old movies about recovery or anything like that, you don't see animals running around 30-day treatment programs and stuff like that. So how did we all discover that this was working? 
Well, actually, Freud would bring his dogs and cats to work with him. And Are you joking? No. no. And so it, it actually started much earlier in psychopractice, very, very early. And it's definitely become more important and more recognized in the last couple of years, actually the last couple of decades, is being more evidence-based, right? Because we're all about evidence-based, this, that, and whatnot. And so a lot more studies have come about. There's actually more training for it. There's more credentialing for it. And so that's something that's been more of a recent addition to our history. Okay, so coming from, I had no idea that Freud used to do that. That is so awesome. Like, I thought you were going to talk about Pavlov and something like that, but Sigmund Freud? Are you joking? Okay, so now we've come from that to um, ducks on airplanes as uh, uh, therapy-assisted animals. Is it out of control? And are we missing the point? So I think what gets really confused in this is there's a big difference between emotional support animals, therapy animals, and service animals. Now, by our law here in Colorado, you can only have service animals can only be a dog or a horse, but a therapy animal can be anything. And it doesn't mean they have to be trained to provide or notice people's emotions just like your dog. Really what is more underneath it is that it's a goal-oriented intervention to help access something, usually used with another modality like cognitive behavioral therapy or dialectical behavioral therapy or EMDR where you utilize your primary modality and you also have an animal that helps integrate some component to it or provide some kind of context or creates metaphor in their behavior. Oftentimes clients can relate more to the concreteness around an animal's behavior than they can just having a group discussion. How does the animal regulate the energy of the environment? Because we, we'll see dogs, like kids will be flying sideways and dogs will walk right up to the child and stick the head on the lap and just look at the kid. The child will stop screaming and cussing and start petting the dog and crying. How does the dog, the rabbit, the cat, the, the bunny, how do they not take that energy on and get ill for, for, for crying out loud? That's a really good question, and actually they do. That's why it's really important for the handler or the therapist to be well-versed in the animal behavior so you can read those calming signals and know how to take care of your animal because when you do animal-assisted intervention, you as the human have the responsibility to be able to gauge your client and the animal and take care of both. What is a way of taking care of the animal? And now I'm asking for parents in such a way that you've got a chaotic home, the dog's living in it, sleeping in it, hanging out in it, and what, what, how, do you, how do you help your pet regulate so that the home has a supportive animal in it? I think it's, it's helpful for them to have breaks. They have to have a safe place to go to, just like we as humans have to have a safe place to go to when things get scary or chaotic or dysregulated. They have to have their own space that they're allowed to go to, and they have to be allowed to be able to be who they are and have, display their own, their own animal behavior, whatever is natural for them. They need that outlet, especially... For dogs, energy. They got to get their energy out. Um, a a well-versed dog is a dog that's well physically exercised. Um, in, in listening to you talk, it's obvious. It's very clear to me that you know a lot about uh, different therapeutic modalities. You're an LCSW, so you've studied a lot of them. Uh, is is animal-assisted therapy? You, you're, you've talked on it today here at the symposium on stage, and now here with me. Um, is this your chosen path? Is this the one you're like, yes, this one's the best? 
I am, I'm all about it right now. I just graduated from the University of Denver uh, Animals and Human Health Certificate. They're, they just created a new one that's canine specific. I'm going to get into that cohort. I'm going to learn more about it. I'm going to learn more about like canine specific behaviors and learning that behavior because that's really a missing component that I don't have that I think I need. So why do you think this is better? What, what is it about this modality that's working for you and your clients? There's so many reasons, but it helps people be more mindful. It helps them be present. It helps them regulate their own nervous system when they have a dysregulated nervous system and they don't know how to do it. They can pet a dog. There's so many activities that you can do with a dog, with another animal that help bring down your own nervous system. And some of the other modalities, you can't necessarily teach that in other ways. You just have to experience it. And I think that's why animal assisted intervention is so powerful that you experience it. It's an experiential intervention. It's not thought-based. It gets at your limbic system. It gets at your heart. There seems to be also, I'm not going to call it a fad because it's effective. So, um, but a, a process, uh, a treatment of getting animals, cats and dogs into the prison systems. Now the fear that comes up around that, because I just speak blunt, if I wasn't working with teenagers, I would be working with dogs. Uh, when I get my paycheck, it goes to Hope for Paws, it goes to the International Humane Society, and it goes to the ASPCA. And with, with uh, particularly for me, I have, a, I have a very soft and hard spot in my heart for dog abuse, canine abuse. And so the idea of dogs being in a chaotic environment and even a violent environment like prison makes me very nervous, except the success rates are off the chart. Well, again, is it everything you just said, is, or is it even showing that even the more uh, extreme situation can regulate through the use of an animal? So I think what's important to acknowledge here is that's the human-animal bond. And the definition I talked about in my presentation yesterday is it's mutually beneficial. And so we're not just using dogs and cats and throwing them into a situation, but it, we have to choose animals that like doing this work. This is a job for them. This is them choosing the job that they want to go to every day. And so it's mutually beneficial. So it's great for the humans. It's actually great for the dogs and the cats that are participating. And if it isn't, then they need to be taken out of that environment. So saying that, um, my dog Flurry, for uh, the last five years of her life at eight o'clock in the morning, would bark at the door and we'd let her out. And she would go over to the facility and bark at the door and they'd let her in. And she would work all day long. And at five o'clock, clockwork, she barked at the door, they let her out, and she came home. And it was remarkable. It, and we, my wife and I believe that this is literally why she lived so long. And it's because she had a job. How do you know if your dog's not up to the job? How do you know if your cat's like, listen, uh, I need a different home? Yeah, so those are really great questions. You have to think about animal ethics on that one. There's something called the five freedoms. Um, freedom from thirst, hunger, freedom from emotional distress. There's, there's whole, all of them. And so that's a really important thing to think about. But you have to know how to read your, your animal's behavior and their body language. And if they become overwhelmed with something, then maybe that's not the right fit for them. But you, that's part of the education of the human is knowing how to read that language in their animal. I want parents to hear uh, one or two of your stories where your dog did more work in a moment than you could ever do in a year with a client? Um, there's so many, it's so hard to pinpoint. I, I do have to say one. So I've worked for the place I worked for a year. I've, um, Asha has been my, 
my partner for about four years now, and we've had three different jobs in that time. But there was an older gentleman in his 50s suffering from a lot of physical ailments as well as living with HIV, and he refused to be around her at all. He'd been bitten as a child with a dog. He didn't want to be around dogs. And slowly but surely, I worked with him for a year and a half every week. He was an every week client, came in every week, this outpatient. And slowly but surely, he allowed her to be in the room, but she had to be in her bed. And then slowly but surely, she could be on the couch, but his jacket had to be in between them. And slowly but surely, he didn't put his jacket down anymore, and she was able to inch in. Now, she never got to his lap, but he did start to acknowledge her. He started to practice using his voice with her, saying no to her, using assertiveness skills. And it was just really beautiful because he very firmly, working together, wouldn't have anything to do with her. And then at the end, he would allow her to touch him, which I just thought was really beautiful. And I think another really important thing is clients come in and they go, oh my gosh, it feels more like home because you have a dog and we see a dog. And it, really, when you work in residential treatment, you want clients to come in and feel like they're at home. And that's what animals provide. So when you look for a facility, look for a facility that in integrates animal-assisted interventions. They have animals available. They're pet-friendly. Like, you know, that, that your, your children can have that experience because seeing an animal and having an animal there brings up so much richness. And we talk a lot about the loss of family pets and maybe they didn't get to grieve those pets or if child abuse has been involved, there's, there's also something called the link, which is the link between animal abuse, child abuse, domestic violence, and elder abuse. It's really important, something to think about. And it, having an animal there allows us to explore other aspects of abuse and neglect as well. Okay, so Darlene, my last question as we wrap around and then I want to give, have you give contact information to people. My last question is, how is it that dogs and horses can do this work? Why can they do this work? What is it about them? I'm, I'm completely stumped. I don't even know how to answer that. How can they do this work? Because they have learned over thousands of years to trust and love humans. And they are drawn to humans and they enjoy being around humans, not all, but the majority of that, those species enjoy being with us and we equally enjoy being with them. So I guess that's how I answer it. Darlene, how do people get in touch with you or your facility if they're, if they're thinking that working with you and your, you, you called it a animal partner? Yeah, she's my pet partner. Your pet partner. Working with you and your pet partner sounds right for them. Yeah, so you can visit peaksrecovery.com and we're um, located in Colorado. Perfect. My, I was chased by a horse as a child and I was terrified of horses until I had a, a gestalt equine therapist. I was at a group event and all, I was the only male in the group and all the other women in the group were really struggling with my energy. As I, was, I, was very, I was in a very aggressive mode. I was angry, I was angry at a lot of things. And the women kept saying to me, you need to calm down so I can be around this because I want to support you, but, you know, your energy is too much for me. And uh, Melissa Pierce, the, this brilliant, brilliant therapist said, bullshit. And she brought over this gigantic black stallion. And she said, Aaron, get up there. And terrified, being in my late 30s, terrified of this horse, I got up on the back of this horse, no saddle. She said, hold on. And I grabbed the horse's mane and the horse took off at a dead run through a field. I started sobbing. I was crying. I was screaming. I was yelling. This horse took on my energy and was showing me me. And my experience of being on me while being me was so freeing. And next thing you know, I owned a horse. 
that's I think that's the potent power of working with animals. So Darlene, thank you very much. Thanks for talking with my parents. Thanks for being on Beyond Risk and Back. Thank you so much. Parents, you take care of yourself first. You take care of your adult relationship second. You take care of your children third, because in that way, we do our best work with our children. We'll talk next week. Nice job. Hey. Very good. Oh man, we send our kids to Song of the Wolf Healing Center. We have a wolf sanctuary here, but they—I don't know that we could do it. Half well, the things that you guys are, have to do. Are you talking about like here in town, or are you talking about Mission Wolf? Um, no, here in Colorado Springs. Okay. There's—it's just called the Wolf Sanctuary. Okay, check out Mission Wolf. Okay. Kent, who runs that place? Okay. Um, yeah, it'll be one of—he can emasculate any man on the planet being around this guy because he is the alpha male of a 30 deep wolf pack. And when you walk up to this guy, he's like, higher, and you're just like, you're in charge. <laughs> it's amazing to experience him. Mission Wolf is amazing because you can uh, stay the night there and the volunteer projects and meeting the wolves. Song of the Wolf Healing Center up in Bailey. Um, so both of the people who started that, they're both adolescent therapists. And have been working in addiction and stuff forever. And they're here. So check them out. Okay, we awesome. love them. That's great. Thank nice you. job. Thanks. So um, I got your picture. I'm going to send out. I, I will. What's your email address? Um, it's dbrace at peaksrecovery.com. Okay. Peaksrecovery.com. When this comes out, I'll send you a link that link will have a graphic attached to it um and it's something you can post and we're posted everywhere we're on binge tv everything okay thank you darlene okay, thank nice you. job nice talking with you good talking with you